Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child using the method of catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mecki Lozano. Today, we are continuing our season two journey of exploring all things Montessori by diving into the four planes of development. What are they? Why are they important for us to understand as we work with the Good Shepherd in the child? Claire Paglia joins us again today to dive into this subject. You might remember Claire from last spring when she spoke to us about freedom and discipline. I hope you enjoy. Claire, welcome back to the Good Shepherd in the Child podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you back. Claire, for anyone who didn't listen to your first episode that you ha- we had together on freedom and discipline, would you briefly tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a child of the atrium. I was part of how we started the, the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd at the church where we were. So around four, I was able to begin and carried through to level three, which was a wonderful experience. Um, As an adult, I have been a Montessori guide. So I'm um, primary trained and I worked with three to six year olds for 12 years. And I'm currently homeschooling my three children and enjoying implementing Montessori and Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Um, And I'm also a catechist at our church in level one. Mm. And you also share your homeschool journey on Instagram too, right? I do. Yes. Yes. Um, my account is at home with Montessori. And so just trying to, um, be friendly with (laughs) keeping it, (laughs) keeping it real (laughs) and, um, how we do Montessori at home to the best of our abilities. So yes, the work in progress. I love it. I love following your account. I have learned so much from you. And I've also, from your account, encountered other accounts that you share. And I've learned just so much. I really appreciate that. Well, I'm really glad that you are back on the podcast, especially for this episode that we are going to be talking about today. So we're going to dive into Montessori's concept of planes of development. So Claire, would you tell us a little, what are the four planes of development? Sure. Um, so there are four planes of development and Montessori observed kind of these specific stages, um, and each stage has six years to it. So the first plane of development is from zero to six years old. The second plane of development is from six to 12 years old. So those are like the elementary years. Mm -hmm. And then the third plane is 12 to 18 years old. So those are the, that's the adolescence. And then the last plane is 18 to 24 years old. Um, And she, the last one is capped at 24 years because even 100 years ago (laughs) during her lifetime, Mm -hmm. um, she knew that that was around the time that the brain reached maturity. So I think that that's an interesting thing to think about is that this is the developing, the, the developing person and child and the spiritual aspects of the child, but then also the brain is, is growing and developing at the mm-hmm. same time. So, and then within each of these planes, there are subplanes as well. Yes. So within each plane, like for the first plane, for example, um, the, the sub phases are like three year increments. So zero mm-hmm. to three years, and then is, is a more unconscious time, you know, that the child is, is kind of moving and growing and learning through an inner drive. It's not really external. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the three to six year old child, it, all of a sudden it becomes, things become more conscious and they're more, 
a little bit more of working how to learning how to control the will. <laughs> right, right. Um, but so each plane has that same concept. And so in even in Montessori schools, um, and, and also in the way that we divide the atria, um, right, we have level one is for three to six years old, and then level two is six to nine, and level three is nine to 12. So it kind mm-hmm. of we try to meet those those needs and those sub subplanes. And is there a difference between within the subplane of the first three years of the subplane and the second three years of the subplane? So like zero to three versus three to six within that first plane? Yes. Um, so the, the first portion of those planes of development, um, especially in the first and second one, is that that first part seems to be a little bit more on the unconscious side. And then they kind of grow into, you know, there's a there's a confidence that's built there and a and, a, and an awareness that comes with that the second half of, of those planes of development. And is there like, I feel like I remember in my formation, something about the first half of the plane, more growth. And then in the second half, it's kind of like comfort in it. Oh, that's mm-hmm. not the right thing. No, I, I think that that, that makes sense for sure. Cause it's, it, I mean, especially in that first plane development, it's really pronounced with what happens in that the first three years is incredible. It's yes, a huge right. amount of growth. And then it's, it stabilizes a little bit more um, in that second half from three to six. Um, and six, the, the second plane of development is definitely a more stable time of growth anyways, but you see that big jump again, um, in the third plane of development during adolescence for, mm-hmm. you know, 12 to 15 versus 15 to 18. Um, it's a, it's a big, there's a big difference between 12 yes. and 18 there too. So. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's why we separate like middle school and high school. Yes. You know, because a, you wouldn't put a 12 year old with an 18 year old. No. They're just so, such completely different <laughs> completely people. I mean, I barely want to put my 12 year old with a 15 year old. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. They're just such huge amounts of growth which, within each of those sub phases. It's amazing. So how did Montessori come up with this idea of these four planes of development? So she... You know, so much of her work, she came at the child with the perspective of a scientist. So she's really wanting to observe and and mm-hmm. see kind of what what she's discovering. I think when thinking about this, I, I looked up, um, there's a lecture that she shared in 1938, which is a really interesting one. And I think Mario Montessori may have been with her during this lecture as well. But mm-hmm. she opened it by saying, our method has been based on the fact that we may have been guided by the manifestations of children at different phases of growth. Mm. So she's really wanting to emphasize that education, you know, it should promote life. It can be an aid to life. And so, and, you know, I know in the atrium, we're, we're trying to allow space for, you know, we're not teaching them. Right, <laughs> we're, right. we're allowing space for, for them to grow and develop. So, I think the other really interesting metaphor that Montessori used with the planes of development is she compared it to the life cycle of a butterfly Mm. for the four planes. And because in essence, each plane of development is a series of rebirths. So, you know, the butterfly begins as an egg, which hatches into a caterpillar that grows at an absolutely alarming rate until it creates a chrysalis and then blossoms into a magnificent butterfly. Mm -hmm. And so likewise, the first plane child is born and grows at an alarming rate through planes one and two. And then mm-hmm. in plane three, that for adolescence, the child who's now a teenager becomes more introspective and kind of self-searching. 
And then they finally reach plane four when they blossom into an adult that's mm-hmm. ready to see the world. So I think, yeah. I think really her goal was to figure out how we can best meet the needs of children, how we can understand where they are, where they're coming from, what's developmentally appropriate, um, and, and realize that there's commonalities there that can help us as adults better serve the children that we're working right. with. Right. It's amazing that she was able to apply her scientific medical education and background that she had in applying to the children in this way, that she had these decades with children and observing them. And so she was able to see these specific types of growth and specific characteristics within um, certain children, which I think that all of us who have children in our lives, especially parents and grandparents, we notice it, but kind of subconsciously, you yes. know, like now when I read about the four planes, you're like, oh, yeah, that's so this kid. And oh, that's so this kid. But I think just the busyness of being a parent, we don't sit down and analyze it. But Maria Montessori, that's the gift she gave us is from her scientific background. She knew how to analyze what she was looking at. So she watched the children grow and was able to see things that we as parents see, but don't necessarily see and um, in doing that really aided us in how we can see like, okay, so this child wants us to read this over and over and over, you know, like that's typical for this plane of development or this child is questioning, you know, what's right and what's wrong. You know, that's typical for this plane of development, those kind of things. She was able to gift us with the explanation to what we see subconsciously as parents. Yes. Now, Claire, could you tell us a little bit more about each of these phases? Like, what can we see in each of these phases? What is the difference between a first plane child and a fourth plane child? Sure. Happy to. Huge difference. It's a big, big difference. <laughs> um, so that first plane child, um, the, the phrase that I keep in mind with this child is, help me do it by myself. Mm-hmm. They really want to figure out how to be more independent. They want to learn how to do things. So during that first plane of development, the child is absorbing culture, customs, habits, values, and attitudes of the adults in their environment. And the absorbent mind, which we'll probably touch on somewhere in a bit, um, Mm -hmm. which Dr. Montessori shared is a special gift that the first plane child has, Mm -hmm. is really hard at work taking everything in in the environment without a filter. Kind of like the viewfinder in a camera. You can't really choose. You can, you know, when you have your camera looking at something, you can't really be like, well, I don't really want that tree that's in the middle to be (laughs) part of it. You know, it's it's just, it's all they take it all in. Yes. Um, but the first plane child learns actively through movement. And so we really try to allow for that in the atrium. We want to allow space for them to move and space for them to choose where to work, with whom to work. Um, but this, this phase of development really has incredible physical and psychological growth. I mean, we go from a newborn that is not able to do anything for herself to a six-year-old that can walk, talk, <laughs> you know, right, move, right. make decisions, um, mm-hmm. all of those things. But the the growth during this time really sets the foundation for the development in the planes to come. Um, mm-hmm. It's the largest amount of growth of any of the planes of development. The second plane, the phrase that I use for this plane is help me to think for myself. Because the second played child during those elementary years has become 
increasingly more independent. They're definitely interested in friends and peers. Sometimes they're called the herd children, H E R D. Mm-hmm. So they're like they want to be in groups and work collaborative mm-hmm. collaboratively. Um, and and really, children of this stage have really brilliant imagination. They have a sense of justice. You know, they're really concerned about figuring out what's right, what's wrong. They'll ask you questions, why questions. You know, the, the right. first plain child might say, what is that? What is this? What is, you know, but the second plain child is really wanting to know why. They want to know. Right. <laughs> and, right. and so much to the point that, you know, I find at home with, I have one child that's solidly in the second plane and another one that's heading that direction. Um, so often I'm having to say, let's look it up together because I don't mm-hmm. always know all of the answers right. <laughs> for all of these things. I lo- That's a really humble response though, because then it teaches the child that you don't get to adulthood and know it all. Yes. We and are you're also indirectly growing. teaching them. Yeah. And you indirectly teaching them how to find the answers. Yes. Because you're doing that too. Oh, <laughs> I definitely have a second plain child too. He, he does so much better if you explain the why. Like if you just say, okay, you need to go over there, it doesn't work. Mm-mm. But if you explain why he needs to go over there, he's like, oh, okay, yes. I'll go over there. <laughs> my, my oldest definitely needs to know the, the okay, the why. this is, I know you don't want me to do that, but why don't you want me to do that? <laughs> this right. is why this right. is And then I will decide for, for myself mm-hmm. that's a just reason why. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so the other thing that's interesting about the second plane is that they tend to collect items. So the first plane child is usually really focused on order. They're, they're really particular about where things go. And, but the second plane child, that all goes out the window. <laughs> so <laughs> it is normal for a second plane child to have a collection or collections of things. Their rooms are not tend, they don't tend to be tidy. Um, it's, it's a pretty stark contrast from <laughs> the first plane. Um, and, and they're definitely interested in culture and the world. And so we kind of talk about offering the child the world and mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. thinking about that, not saying let's, let's give them everything, but let's, okay, they want to learn more about Greek mythology. Okay, let's see how many different ways we can come at that or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Right. Um, and they're right. also really trying to move t- from concrete thinking to abstract thinking. So that's, you know, the first plain child is definitely very concrete, but the, the second plain child becomes more abstract um, and they really want to explore. They're just on the go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the third plane, which is 12 to 18 years, um, that's the phrasing I, I use with that one is to help me stand on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, the third plane of development is again marked by incredible growth. It kind of mirrors the growth that happens during the first plane of development because the adolescent is becoming the adult, right? So yes, yeah. it's a, it's a huge amount of um, growth. Um, the adolescent also has emotional vulnerability. They really want to establish their own values. They tend to want to um, benefit humanity, so they may want to do. They're more interested in, you know, outreach or how ways to serve the community. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, they also tend to face more pressure from peers and, and school. And they're, they're really trying to answer that question, though, who am I? Really want to try to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So th- I think they're really mostly determining, though, what's my relationship with society? And this, this child also still needs a hands-on learning environment. And I think that... 
often um, our mindset is, well, they're older, they can just learn from books, but they really still need that hands-on element. Yeah. Yeah. Which is often, it kind of comes in with being able to go out and whether it's serve the community or maybe have like a little internship or just something that's kind of helping them figure out their place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the final plane of development, um, there's really not as much about this one because Montessori spent so much time during her life working on the first and second planes. But for the fourth plane, which is 18 to 24 years, um, the phrase that I use here is help me find my life's work. So this final plane of development has stable growth and the young adult now has physical and psychological maturity. They really desire to work to make their dreams a a reality and often have a distinct moral conscience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The young adult is also mentally preparing for how to accomplish the steps to begin their life's work. So whether, you know, there's so many different ways to, to do that, but hopefully our hope is by the end of the fourth plane that this individual is able to stand strong with their own beliefs and values in mm-hmm. another place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've worked a lot with young adults and I see a lot of what you're describing, this idea of trying to find your life's work. And, w- and when we say work, we don't mean job. No. It's more work of your hands. Um, the work that's going to give you internal satisfaction, um, whether that brings in money or not and then also a huge huge moral compass of wanting to put a print, their imprint on the world in a positive way how can I make this world a better place I feel like is a huge part of that moral growth moral um, feelings that this aged person has definitely yeah so within each of these phases, as you're talking about the growth that happens within the phase, but then also as you move on to another phase, can you describe, like, we're not just talking about mental growth. Can you describe the different types of growth that we're talking about? So there's the very obvious physical growth. I mean, you can see that as you watch a child move through each plane of development. Um, there's also the psychological growth and the growth of the brain and 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 then socially how they're interacting with others, you know, that, that first plane child tends to do a lot of individual or parallel play. But then when they get Mm. into the second plane, they're really into collaborative play. Like let's let's get together. Let's figure this out. So I think it's, it's not just trying to see these little bits and pieces here and there. It's really trying to pull all of it together um, and see what, how this child is growing as a whole. Right. Right. And Anna Hurdle spoke about a little bit back in a previous podcast about the second plane child, but that a child can develop in each of these things, physical, social, spiritual, emotional, mental, all these things um, at different rates. Yes. So like, for example, I have a child in my level one atrium right now who socially is very much like a second plane child. He is very much ready to just socialize and collaborate with his peers. Um but in other aspects, he's not quite a second plane child yet. And so it's very normal for children to kind of develop those things at different different rates and different from their peers as well. And that's okay. Definitely. That's definitely, yes. I've, I've seen that so many times, especially in my Montessori environment when 
children would start to get ready to transition to elementary, you know, you kind of see those little glimmers of, oh, that's a little second plane characteristic. That's yes, a second plane yeah. characteristic. Yeah. But just because we see that first characteristic doesn't mean they need to jump to the next level. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's just those little things that are starting to build and pull together. And, and the child does start to gradually detach from the environment that they're in. You know, if they're in that level one environment, they start to, you know, move a little bit away and they're starting to be ready to transition. But mm-hmm. it doesn't mean we mm-hmm. move them immediately. <laughs> right. Um, you just might treat that child a little differently. For example, you might make them a little bit more of a leader or yes. give them some more of the materials that um, a developing second plane child or a moving into a second plane child might be interested in, such as like tracing or um, maybe some of the harder works, such as like a liturgical calendar yes. or, you know, Eucharistic presence, things that a ch- a, like a child that can move outside of time and space might be more interested in, such as Eucharistic presence, maybe. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think sometimes they dive more into the geography work too. Yeah. You know, they really want yeah. to know more about, okay, Jesus was a real person, in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, in time, a long time ago, but um, they really want to, to understand that more. And then that starts right. to spur, you know, some fairly interesting conversations right. as well. Right. Yeah. Or, or making little labels for them as they're yes. beginning, becoming early readers. Those kind of things might be for that child. But like you said before, it doesn't mean that they're ready to necessarily be in the level two atrium. And I think that you and I were speaking about this before we started recording about we have a tendency as adults to kind of think of this as accomplishment from moving from one plane to the other. And we have to be very careful about that. Definitely. Yeah, it's not, we're not looking for an achievement of like, okay, congratulations, you have signs of the second plane. You know, we're really trying. You graduated to level two. That's not what it is. It's not what it is at all. No. No. (laughs) And in some ways, a level one child, we do not want to rush them out of that, that plane. Um, It is that beautiful, like you said, the absorbent minds and a very unique time in their life that they're never going to get back. Um that we do not want to move them fast and with this accomplishment mentality of, yes, my child's now a level two child and your child's still a level one child or, or whatever it is, um, allowing our child to sit in where they're at mm-hmm. rather than push them forward. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Claire, would you speak into that absorbent mind that we see in that first plane, how is that first plane distinguishable from the other planes? Why is it so important and different? Sure. So the, the first plane, you know, is marked by such incredible growth. And the only other plane that really comes close to that amount of growth is that third plane, like I mentioned Mm -hmm. before, where Mm -hmm. the child goes through adolescence. But I think you know, the first plain child has this special gift that Montessori talked about, which is the absorbent mind. Um, and, and it's subconscious, though. And so we really aren't often always aware of how even in the atrium, the Good Shepherd is working in the young child. And it really, you know, I, I heard Marty O'Brien say this the other day, that it contributes to the mystery of, of really what, what we're working with and, and really propels our desire to allow space for the Holy Spirit to work in the atrium. Um, You know, Montessori talked about two words that go with the absorbent mind. One is called horme, which is 
referring to the inner drive, that the subconscious inner drive that just propels them to, you know, with most infants, you don't have to say, okay, now it's time to roll over. You know, they, they just do it. They know that, you know, they do it on their own time and we don't, we don't rush that, but um, it's the same thing with the steps to learning to walk. You know, they, they know kind of when it's time or when they've built enough strength to start to move their bodies in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing that the other word that she used is called meme, and it's really the power of retention. So it's this idea that the child is taking in everything and it really, it becomes part of the fabric of their being. And that um, is both amazing and scary at the same time, (laughs) you know, just to think about how, how powerful that is. But the characteristics that go with the absorbent mind, the absorbent mind is creative it's unconscious or involuntary, it's universal, it's non-discriminatory, and it's global. And the other word that they put with that is instantaneous. So I think that Mm -hmm. those are really interesting. That's a lot to unpack there. But um, there was a quote I found from Montessori that I think really helps to sum up kind of the first plain child and this growth and the absorbent mind. And um, it's from the book, The Absorbent Mind. And she said that the child has a different relation to his environment from ours. So adults admire the environment. They can remember it and think about it, but the child absorbs it. The Hmm. things he sees are not just remembered. They form a part of his soul. He incarnates himself all in the world about him, that his eyes see and his ears hear. In us, the same things produce no change, but the child is transformed by them. So this is a vital kind of memory, which does not consciously remember, but absorbs images and into the individual's very life. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, she was referring to the, to Neme there. It has a special name. Mm-hmm. Just the fact yep. that this child can learn everything without knowing it, you know, is really, it's really incredible. It is amazing. They just absorb it. It it makes me think of like a, like a blank canvas and everything like, you know, sometimes when you paint, it's layers of paint, but that when it's blank, it has the biggest impact. All of that, those first layers, it just absorbs it all. And then that's what I think about with that very young child. And it is, it is very intimidating. I think we both have an almost two year old and I think about this absorbent mind a lot with him. Like I'm sitting there, maybe I'm laying down with him to go to sleep to get him to sleep. And I'm sitting there playing on my phone or something. And I'm thinking, okay, what is he absorbing right now? You know, like it's really yes. intimidating this, uh, this absorbent mind or the order in our house or my emotions or our family's emotions or our family's busyness. All of these things can be really intimidating for this absorbent mind that is sitting right before me. Yes. But I also think that one of the biggest things that he's absorbing at his age, this this little two-year-old or almost two-year-old, is the emotions. So he does, mm-hmm. is he feeling loved? Is he does he feel secure in that love? Does he feel secure in this space? And you know, you think about children in like mass orphanages and stuff and they're getting fed they're getting chained they're getting bathed but they're not getting very much interaction Mm. and the huge impact that that has on their whole life that you know you hear about these stories of of children and being abused or neglected in those first few years and what an impact that has on their whole life in that first subplane that 
for zero to three years old. Yes. And how what they absorbed, the lack of love, the lack of attention, the lack of I am important, had the effect that that has Mm -hmm. on their whole life. It's it's amazing. It's absolutely It really amazing. is. And there's so much more research now to support the value of holding space for emotions and identifying emotions. Yes. I mean, that was not something, you know, I think even when, when, when we were children that that was, oh, yes. that was such an important thing. But now they're realizing this is, this is actually very important, you know, for us, yes. our, you know, our society as a whole. Um, the other thing I've been learning more about is felt experiences and I think that that really applies to the first plain child because it's subconscious. And so they may not have the words for what they've experienced, but they have the feeling that's there. And so mm. I think that that's an interesting, you know, the, the older that children get, the more they can put the words to it. But for that first plain child, it is subconscious. And so it's just taken on as a feeling. So what, what I, so a felt experience is like, they're not going to remember what we did this day, but they're going to remember how they felt. Is that what you mean? Perhaps, yeah. I mean, it just, it, obviously, it depends on the intensity of the experience. But <laughs> right, of course, um, sure. You know, for felt experiences, I think it's just, it's a newer thing that I hadn't realized was was a reality, right? But it makes sense the more we think about the absorbent mind and the more we think mm-hmm. about how subconscious growth is during that time. Mm -hmm. No, I think that that's huge. I think that if we all look back at our own personal history, like the things in our life that we remember are the things that had really strong feelings around it. And especially for the young children, I think that that is like how they felt about God or in a space that represents God, like the atrium or the church, how those places made them feel is what that three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old is going to remember. So I think that that's one of the reasons why the atrium is such a beautiful place for the spiritual growth of the child, because it, what they remember is love and peace. Like they walk in there and they're like, I feel peaceful. I feel loved. I feel safe. And those feelings, they wrap around the good shepherd because that's what they associate with it. And I think that that as adults who care about the spiritual growth of children, considering that felt experience is very important. So how are we making the children feel when they walk in our church? How are we making the children feel when they do anything on our church grounds? How are we making the children feel when we pray together at home? Is it like this stressful experience for all of us where we walk away going, ah, why do we even try to do that? Or is it a positive experience? Even though they were rolling on the ground, they have a positive felt experience from it. Um, When we're dealing with children in this first plane, zero to six years old, I feel like that is what's most important for us to remember is how is this experience making them feel? Yes. Because that's what they are going to remember. Definitely. And and knowing that those times, even if they're rolling around on the floor, that absorbent mind is still taking it in. <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. I feel like I've encountered that more with homeschooling than, and I had it in my classroom too, and even sometimes in the atrium, but there'd be times that sometimes children are just rolling on the floor and I'm like, this is yep. so, <laughs> but then yep. I'm realizing I'm like, it's okay. 
they're taking it in. You know, we they yeah. need to move. We've got to we've got to allow space for that, and it's yeah. it's developmentally appropriate. But it's yeah. it's definitely tricky though because we have, as the adults, we have our own, you know, experiences and feelings and <laughs> yes per- perspective course. that we're bringing to the situation. And I think that the planes of development really kind of help us to take that step back and help us to practice the pause a little bit mm-hmm. to realize like okay this is something that really should be happening during the second plane of development or mm-hmm. you know the, the the rude the brutally honest comment that i just got from my <laughs> second plane <laughs> child is completely normal <laughs> this is okay right, um, right. But, and i think yeah. you're touching there on the why like the why are the planes of development important for us for in the atrium or in our spiritual growth with children it's, yes it's so that we can understand them and be able to minister to their specific needs better by understanding who they are as this first plane child, as this second plane child, as this third plane child. Who are they so that we can maybe adapt our own expectations yes. to where they really are? I think it also helps us to see more joy in each mm. plane of development. I think it takes out the longer I've been doing this, the more I feel like that I'm able, it takes out some of the, the irritation or annoyance when something, you know, mm. you get that brutally honest comment. And you're like, Oh, that yeah, yeah. <laughs> got me a little bit, but, um, <laughs> but it's like, this is supposed to happen. Like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing at the second plane. And it's, um, you know, in the, the first plane when they're like running circles in the house, and you're like, why are we running again? Yes. You know, or whatever it might yes. be. But um, I think it helps to take some of the wind out of that and and see, okay, this is this is supposed to be happening. <laughs> yes, this is, um, yeah. and it allows us to experience that joy and be able to be with the children instead of, you know, I think that it helps us to attune, and I think that attunement is so crucial to be able to to best um, meet their needs and and work with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that it also allows us to grow in respect for the child as a person. Um, If we kind of put on these Montessori glasses, per se, of Mm -hmm. observing the child of who they are today, because it changes every single day, and um, respect that person that's standing in front of us, this three-year-old, this six-year-old, this 10-year-old, whatever, um, respect who they are in this moment. And... um, yeah, I, I just feel like that respect for the child as a full human being is one of the best gifts that Montessori has given us. Absolutely. And I think yeah. helping us to be present in that moment is is so key as well. Mm-hmm. I think so often we're like, oh, I can't wait until they do this. Or I can't wait until yeah. this happens. And yeah. to really just pull back and say, where are we now? How are we meeting, you know, seeing this whole child right now? The other thing is I always, when I look at the planes of development, it makes me think about the Bible verse of Jesus saying, um, unless you become like little children, you will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm not quoting it directly, but um, it makes me, that scripture verse makes me think about that first plane child and how you were saying how they're instinctual, but then they're also so absorbent and they're also just so essential, you mm-hmm. know, like they're just so beautiful. Like, yeah, God loves me. No questions asked. Got it. Um, and Jesus is saying, okay, see this second, this, I'm sorry, see this first plane child, this zero to six year old, 
become like them. Go hang out with them because they have something to teach you, which I think is why Maria and Sophia and Gianna, they all spent so much time with that first plain child because Jesus was pointing to them saying, okay, guys, that's where the answers are Yes, right here with these zero to six-year-olds. So go see what they have to teach you about me. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, where can we dive into? Yes. If we want to learn more about the four planes, where can we find them? So um, I'm going to have to see if I can find this so that we can be able to share it. But there's a 1938 lecture by Maria Montessori that really covers a lot with the four planes of development. Mm-hmm. Um, the book, The Absorbent Mind, also has a chapter that's totally focused on planes of development. Um, what was which chapter? Is it chapter um, three. It's chapter know. three, um, and I'm hoping that it will be the same in everybody else's book too. But it's a different. <laughs> it's you know, there's so many different manufacturers, um, right, publishers. Right. Right. Look for the, the books, look but... for the chapter on planes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also an education for a new world by. Um, that one has another chapter. It's also chapter three. And then um, from childhood to adolescence, that book is obviously packed with amazingness for all planes of development. But the first chapter especially is is really key. And then a much shorter chapter, um, Listening to God with Children, Gianna Gobi. Yes. Let's see which chapter is this. This is chapter nine, The Four Planes of Development in Education. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Well, wonderful. Well, Claire, can you tell our listeners, all of our listeners where they can find you? Sure. Um, you can follow me over on Instagram. I have my account is called at home with Montessori and we share about our, our life there. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so that's probably the best place, but um, yeah. Well, great. Well, Claire, thank you so much for joining us again and for sharing your wisdom with us. We really appreciate you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you all for listening. I hope that you have a deeper understanding of Montessori's four planes of development. There are a few other episodes that I would like to recommend for you to go back and listen to again that go really well along with this Montessori series that we're doing, but very specifically with this episode on the four planes of development. Of course, go back and listen to Claire's first episode with us, episode 30 on freedom and discipline. But also go check out episode 41 with Anna Hurdle, where she speaks specifically about that second plane child, that six to 12 year old and the characteristics of that child. And also, if you go to episode four, we talk about Montessori's concept of normalization with Gabriela Perez. We would like to invite all of you to help us spread the word about this podcast. Do you know anybody who would be interested in learning more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd or about Montessori? Share these episodes with them. Help us get the word out so that more people can know about this beautiful work that we are doing. I have some links to some books and also some websites that you might want to explore if you're interested in diving into this topic of Montessori more check out those links in our show notes. Also, remember that CGS USA publishes a journal every year, and this year's journal is all about Montessori. So there will be a link in our show notes to how you can get your hands on that journal if you haven't already got it. If you are a member of the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, you should have already received your journal for this year in the mail. The United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is currently doing our annual appeal. Through the joy, the wonder and awe, and their capacity for love and prayer and radical simplicity, children offer us 
a glimpse of what it means to fall in love with God. And this has been the work of CGS USA for almost 40 years to advocate for the child's joy. Each year, CGS USA provides formation courses, publishes new books for continuing study and contemplation, and continues to support catechists and religious leaders across the nation and the world in helping children find their own path to God's love. So we are humbly asking you for your continued help and support in this effort and to please give generously to our annual appeal. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. We would like to thank all the contributing members because you are making this podcast possible. If you would like to know more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you would like to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening this week. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.